An Old Testament reading this morning comes from Jeremiah, the 29th chapter, verses 4 through 11. If you'd like to follow along your pew Bible, you may. It's on uh, page 731 in the Old Testament section. Jeremiah, if you're not familiar with the, the book of Jeremiah, it is <clears throat> written, um, the very beginning of Jeremiah was written in, in, well, let me step back. Israel was one country, um, and then it got divided into two countries. Um, and when Jeremiah was written at the very beginning, the northern Israel had been overtaken by the Syrians. Um, and, but the southern Israel, which is called Judah, where Jerusalem was, was still intact. Jeremiah kept writing um, and kept at the very beginning of the prophets were, were, were writing, saying, hey, look, it's good and we're still intact, but things can turn. We can be like northern Israel if we don't change our ways. What he was really um, focused on was this Mosaic law. Like, he's, go back to the basics. Go back to the laws of Moses. Right now, sure, we go to the church, we, we do that, we check all the boxes, but it's not affecting or changing our lives. We need to go back to the law of Moses. They do it for a little bit, yet one circumstance after another, the Babylonians come and they take over this southern Israel. And then the second half of his book is written, is written for hope. What happens when your home is overtaken? What happens when that home is overtaken at that time? They would take majority of the people there, especially the rich, the ones with education, the ones with certain skills, they would take them back over to the, the country who conquered somebody, would take them back over to their country, and this time is, is um, Babylon. So they, a lot of people were living in Babylon, and you have a few people living back in Jerusalem, and um, Jeremiah chose to live in Jerusalem with them, so he wrote for hope for them, but he also wrote for hope for all those people who had been forced to, uh, to move out of their houses, what we call exile, giving them hope. And so we now we turn to Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 4 through 11. And we ask... And I ask you to, to um, as we read, to listen to the word of God. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat what they produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives to your, for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there, and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you in exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For it's in welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let the prophets and the diviners who are among you deceive you. And do not listen to your dreams that you dream, for is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, says the Lord. Well, thus says the Lord, only when Babylon's 70 years are completed will I visit you. I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for harm to give you a future with hope. Friends, the word of our Lord. Thanks, Thanks be God. to God. August 12, 1805, was a significant day in American history. 
<clears throat> the Lewis and Clark expedition was well underway. They were heading west to try to find a water passage that would um, take them all the way to the Pacific Ocean. August 12, 1805 was a fateful day when Lewis and Clark realized everything that they knew about their world up to that point was wrong. It was on that day that they realized that there really was no waterway to the Pacific. They realized that the Rocky Mountains were nothing, nothing like the Appalachian Mountains where they came from, where they're used to. The expedition had hauled canoes all the way from St. Louis in the belief that those canoes would be the essential item to literally carry them into the future. But on this day, when they stared at this vast expanse of the Rockies and they looked at their canoes, and they realized that they were in a strange world. And Lewis and Clark had believed that their way forward would largely resemble their past. What do you do, though? What do you do when the world of familiar the world of safe, the world of known, is not the world of tomorrow. This is where we find the Hebrews. That's where we find the Hebrews in our text this morning. Uh, the verses we read were written after we said the Hebrews were being carried into exile by Babylonians. And Babylon was not where the Hebrews thought that they should be. It certainly was not where they wanted to be. Their lives were a long detour. And we all know about detours. Because detours confuse us. Detours confuse us because we cherish our rights and, and our responsibilities to make choices. From the time that we were just small children, we were taught, rightfully or wrongfully, and that our future depends on the choices that we make. So, we choose a college. We choose the town to live in. We uh, choose a spouse to marry, the number of children we want to have, the friends we make, and the friends we keep. We choose our values, our philosophies, our theologies. We choose the church that we tend. Ultimately, we choose our lifestyle. And as we got older, our choices, sure, they got more difficult, but none of us, not a single one of us, have ever wanted someone else to make those difficult choices for us. But this is what we know also about life. That no matter what we were told when we were younger, it's only a matter of time before something happens to us that we did not choose. That college, that job that we chose did not choose us in return. We chose to have three children. But we had one miscarriage after next, after next, after next. The neighborhood we chose to live in some 40 years ago is not the same neighborhood now and we don't feel safe to go outside after dark. 
the retirement that you and your wife had chose, had dreamt about, has completely changed now. And she has dementia. We come home after running errands to find a Dear John note on the kitchen table from the very wife that we chose. Well, that job transfer, that lost client, that early death, the drug addiction, a series of unforeseen circumstances, and not to mention the detours of a global pandemic or war. No matter what detour that you have experienced, and if you have not experienced one yet, sometime in your life, there will be a detour. And it will cause us all to look around and ask, what do you do when the world that we chose, the world of familiar, the world of safe, the world of known, is not the world of tomorrow. I wonder, I wonder in our fear of losing everything that we chose, if our biggest casualty has become our hope. As we said, Jeremiah was written to a group of exiled people far from home in a foreign country, but he was not the only one writing. In chapter 28, Hananiah was writing to the exiles as well. Too. There are a lot of prophets writing to the exile. And their approach was a lot more optimistic than Jeremiah. Don't worry, they said. This exile will, not, will be over soon, they said. God will rescue, they said. And we'll all be back home very soon. Back where everything was great again, they said. God says, not so fast. And gives a word to Jeremiah. He goes into great lengths to tell the Israelites their exile will not be over quickly. In fact, many of you will never come back to Jerusalem. At the very end of what we read this morning, Jeremiah does provide a message of hope from God. For Jeremiah, hope is not optimism. Optimism is about the choices that we make. Hope, on the other hand, is always and only God's gift. Hope is the ability to trust, not in our choices, but in God's actions. Hope is having confidence that God will keep God's promises. No matter what detours life takes us on. An admiral. And the U.S. Navy, John Stockdale, survived eight years as a prisoner of war in a North Vietnamese prison camp. In an interview after Stockdale's book, uh, In Love and War, was released, and the interviewer asked, how did you survive? I had never lost faith in the end of the story, Stockdale replied. I have never doubted not only that I would not get out, but also that I would prevail in the end and turn the experience into a, a defining event of my life, which, in retrospect, I would not trade. Stunned, uh, unsure how to respond, the interviewer asked, well, who didn't make it out? Oh, that's easy, the optimist. Now confused and stunned, the interviewer says, the optimist, I, I, don't, I don't understand. 
the optimists thought they were fine. The optimists were the ones who said, we're going to be out by Christmas, and Christmas will come, and Christmas will go. And then they'll say, well, we're going to be out by Easter, and then Easter would come, and Easter would go. No, we're going to be out by Thanksgiving, and before you knew it, it was Christmas all over again. They all died of a broken heart. It's a long Paul. Stockdale concluded, this is a very important lesson. You must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end which you can never afford to lose with the discipline to comfort the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever that might be. This has become to be known as a Stockdale paradox, confronting the the brutal facts of, of current reality. And Scripture invites us. Scripture invites us to face these realities over and over and over again. Uh, No, this exile will not be over quickly, God says. The brutal facts, God says, you will be here for a long, long, long time. Over and over and over and over again, Scripture speaks to the truth to us. Over and over and over again, Scripture keeps inviting us to face the brutality facts of this world. The truth of this world that keeps coming to us over and over and over again, Scripture keeps telling us eventually we see these brutal facts through the cross. God wants us to know the facts of our reality so much so that God sent Jesus to die for us. As Jesus cried with his last breath, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As we face these brutal facts, God not only invites us to question God in whatever detour there is in your life, but God invites us to lament. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Lament those times when you're holding hands your spouse at the nursing home instead of that vacation that you all dreamt about. It's okay to lament as you go from one rehab facility to the next, to the next, to the next, researching the best ones for your son instead of taking him on college tours. It's okay to lament that rejection letter from college, the pink slip from work, that broken relationship, or just those unforeseen circumstances that create an unknown tomorrow. Whatever detour you find yourself in today, whatever detour you find yourself in the future, detours like this was never God's plan for you. 
For surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans of your welfare and not for harm. To give you a future with hope. This isn't just any hope. It's biblical hope. The type of hope that says, ye, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. That's not the psalmist being optimistic about conditions. This is the, the valley of the shadow of death. The exile the Hebrews find themselves in. That dark detour that's in your life right now. Even there. With God, there's still hope. Hope, yes, of a better tomorrow. In God's way, in God's time. Hope that, that will be filled with for all of us, regardless of our, our race, regardless of our gender. A hope with, with that cancer will be no more. Hope that, that wars will be no more. No more hatred slurs swung my way. No more broken relationships. No more broken hearts, regardless of our status or our, our class or nationality. A future filled with hope is promised. But in the meantime, in the meantime, as Christians, what do we do? Jeremiah says, build houses and live in them. Uh, plant crops and eat their produce, take spouses and have their children. And seek the welfare of the city, welfare that is beloved Hebrew word. That's that beloved Hebrew word of shalom. Seek the shalom of the city that I have sent to you. Seek the peace of the city that I have sent to you. For it's in their peace that you will find your welfare. So all of us who are trying to discern a call, where it is that God has taken us in our lives, for that grandchild or that child of yours or niece or nephew or the, or the kid down the street that comes to you and is trying to discern their call, here it is. No matter who it is, here it is. Live your life. Get up every morning, make breakfast. Go to work, show up, and show up again. Volunteer, attend school, go to that next meeting, and to the next meeting, and to the next meeting, and to the next. Plant crops and stay with it and see it all the way through for the very season. Love your neighbor, even those, especially those that are not like you. Seek the welfare of the city that I've sent to you. Seek the peace of all the Babylonians, even those Babylonians in your life that you think are responsible for whatever detour that you're on. Seek their welfare. Sometimes we want our call to be more heroic than that. But most often it's not. Is that simple? But yet that difficult. Heaven is calling us to live our lives. And while doing it, point to the peace of Christ. 
that is all around us. There was a priest in New Jersey. He phoned Will Campbell. Will Campbell was a legendary Baptist preacher of civil rights. Uh, he was a crusader in the 60s and the 70s. The priest phoned Campbell. He said he, he wanted to come down south. He didn't know how he ended up in New Jersey, he was, but wanted to come down south and join Campbell in his, in his ministry. He felt called, he said, to do something important in his life. Where are you calling me from now, Campbell asked. I'm in a payphone, youth and children. A payphone is one of these things we used to put quarters in and then dial people up. They're on the side of the road. I'm in a payphone in Newark, the priest said. Is that payphone one of those with a glass booth that you can see out, asked Campbell. Well, yes, it is, he said puzzled. Now let me ask you another question. Are there people out there? Or are the streets deserted today? No, no. Like I said, I live in New York. It's, it's uh, pretty busy out here. There's a lot of people. Well, son, that's your ministry. Now go to it. This morning, we're commissioning and sending our high schoolers out to, to Montreat. We did the same for our middle schoolers, youth, two weeks ago when they headed up to Massanetta. It's a different group, different troop, trip, a different location. But the goal for both are the same. The goal was to help our youth discern their call. The call to recognize the peace beyond themselves. peace beyond the imagination of our society who keeps drowning our children with fear and anxiety about having to make the perfect choice. And by the way, that's the very reason that we gather for every small group and Bible study that we have. And that's why we gather here each Sunday. We gather here each week to equip us to recognize the shalom that we see in Scripture. The peace that we witness through the life of Jesus Christ. We gather here to equip us to go out there and to recognize that peace, to point to it, to work with Jesus, to bring that peace into the town, into that meeting, that classroom, into that home, or into that situation that you find yourself in. Because until, until we can recognize the peace of Christ, in the vast amount of detours out there. I wonder if we'll ever be able to recognize it. And here.